0: it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it that it can be about the performance and not the politics this moment is so much bigger than me and I can't deny the fact that you like me
1: right now you like me
0: and thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't please excuse me
1: I deserve this, thank
0: you
2: and welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I also have sexual breakdowns on trains, Joey Gentile.
1: And I had my first orgasm at six in ballet class, Brandon Stanwick. And I am the Keeper
0: of the Keys, the Countess of the Clink, the Mistress of Murderer's Row, Matron, Andrew Carden?
1: What? What? Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Back by popular demand. Yeah,
2: so That's what I hear. I love popular demand to get you back, so we had to get you back the very next season. And with that said, this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category, and this is the class of 2002. So, Andrew, why'd you pick O2 to make a big return?
0: Well, O2 was uh, the first year that I really made Oscar predictions myself. Uh, it wasn't the first Oscar ceremony that I ever watched. I think that was actually the uh, 1996 ceremony because I, I vividly recall watching Cuba Gooding Jr.'s win in real time. But uh, 2002 was definitely the first year where me, my family, made Oscar predictions. And my predictions weren't necessarily the greatest that year. Uh, I did have Chicago winning Best Picture, but I also had Bob Marshall winning Director. I had Daniel Day-Lewis winning for Best Actor, Renee Zellweger for Best Actress. I did get Chris Cooper and Catherine Zeta-Jones right, but uh, I was no master at predicting. Uh, but that was definitely a memorable year because it was really the first time that I got into the horse race of it all. So uh, it's always fun to, to revisit this one.
2: Well, definitely thank you so much for coming back. Like we said, we had a lot of requests. Your episode was highly regarded, so it's very good to have you back.
0: Excellent. Well, always happy to be here.
2: Perfect, perfect. But guys, we kind of had a big day today. A big day for film, for Hollywood, for film Twitter, and it's been exhausting. <laughs> and that is the uh, Academy Award nominations came out today. What are your guys' uh, initial reactions to this?
1: I mostly found it pretty uninspiring, and um, sad to say, at this point now, I'm a little bit bored with this Oscar race. Uh, I don't find it too exciting. i happy for Parasite getting in just about everywhere and I think it has a pretty good shot at winning anything it was nominated for, and I'm happy for that. But overall, I thought it was just a pretty um, mediocre announcement. Well, I'm
0: definitely not as uh, enraged as some are over, say, the uh, the J-Lo snub in this one, although I do think that she deserved a nomination. Um, I would agree, not the most inspired nominations, a lot of predictability all around. I think the only real suspense... Uh, heading into Oscar night is really in Best Picture and Best Director. I think the acting races are going to be kind of a snooze from here on out. I will say, though, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of folks aren't thrilled seeing, you know, a lot of familiar faces like Anthony Hopkins, Kathy Bates, etc. back. But I kind of like seeing folks who haven't been nominated in well over a decade make returns here.
2: Yeah, I, I, will I'll jump off that sentiment with you. It's, it's nice to see, like, Tom Hanks for sure. We've all been really hoping for a long time he'd be back. Um, I'm still a little shocked that he never got in for Captain Phillips. So, oh, yeah. um, this was a definite welcome. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I agree. I'm bored. I think definitely director and picture is kind of where it's going to be at. Some choices. That's for sure. There are definitely
0: some choices. I do think that zero nominations for the farewell is probably the most egregious of all the, the snubs today, but, but otherwise I wasn't too uh underwhelmed, just a little bored. Yeah, I
2: think that's the best best way to describe it. I think we're all just bored with this. You know, I mean off offhand I can think of God, what is it? What was it? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand seventeen, and two thousand fourteen. It, or, yeah, 2014, like, it was, it reminds me of those years where it was just all the acting nominees. We know, we know going into this who's winning. Like, right. there really isn't gonna be, the only way I could see something being shaken up is at SAG. Cause, I know I've been posting some SAG ballots from SAG members, uh, that I've talked to. There's a lot of love for Charlize there and, SAG, it seems. Uh, and Lupita Nyongo. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that actually turns out. But I think that's, if we're going to see a shakeup anywhere, it's going to be SAG, it's going to be in the actress race, so.
0: I think the days where you'd see a category where, you know, Lynn Redgrave is winning the Golden Globe, Kathy Bates is winning SAG, and Judy Dench is winning BAFTA, and then it's, you know, a jump ball for a prize are, seems to be kind of over. It seems that the awards are just copying whatever the last precursor did. So there's yeah. not much in the way of suspense.
2: Yeah, at least we still have the Independent Spirit Awards coming up. That seems to be the most diverse of any type of award show this year um, all around. And, it, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there as well. Although, I'm not going to lie, I see, also see Zellweger taking that, and that's unfortunate, especially with who else is nominated there. Um, that's not like a diss or a hint to where I actually feel for the Oscar lineup, but I will say for Indie Spirits, I would be a little little underwhelmed when Renee Zellweger also took that one.
0: Well, I suspect uh, she probably will, considering that Glenn Close beat Tony Collette last year. And you would think that Tony Collette, if she was going to win anywhere, would be over at the Indie Spirits, and that didn't come to fruition, so. Yeah, but you never know.
2: Yeah. Really quick, uh, last week we talked about 01, which would have been the Halle Berry Denzel Washington year. Um, who was your choices for that before we dive into 02?
0: Tom Wilkinson. Oh no, sorry. Uh, well, Tom Wilkinson and Best Actor, but, uh, Sissy Spacek for, uh, Best Actress. And ooh, I don't have a strong preference down in Supporting Actress. I'd probably have to re-watch those performances, but probably inclined to go with an in-the-bedroom sweep and just go with Marissa Tomei in that one.
2: Interesting. Well, when you finally hear
1: who we chose and who our guest chose, you'll have to let us know what you think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For
1: sure. Let's do this. Your Supporting Actresses of 2002 were... Bates and about Schmidt, Julianne Moore
2: and the Hours, Green Latifah in Chicago, Narrow Street in adaptation. Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago.
1: Alright, let's kick it off with our winner, Catherine Zeta-Jones, winning for Chicago. As of today, this is her first and only nomination and win at the Oscars. Going into this, she was a bit of a front runner because she wins with BAFTA, SAG, and the Chicago Film Critics, and she's recognized at the Golden Globes where she was placed in lead. In Chicago, Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Velma Kelly, a former Chanteuse and a new murderess on death row in 1920s Chicago, who becomes old news when a new woman with blood on her hands walks through the door. So, Andrew, let's start with you. How do you feel about Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago?
0: I think she's very solid, uh, but I think that she is somewhat undercut by Rob Marshall's decision to make this much more of a Roxy-centric Chicago. Uh, I think that she nails the musical numbers. I think that her rendition of uh, I Can't Do It Alone is particularly good, but ultimately, i, I if anything, I wish there was more of her. Uh, I do think that she's leaps and bounds more interesting than Renee Zellweger in this, who I'm not so fond of. Um, certainly not a win that, uh, I'm head over heels for, but not one that I'm vigorously opposed to either. I think she's, you know, does a perfectly solid, confident job but I think there could have been more had Rob Marshall gone for more of an equal Roxy-Velma dynamic in this.
2: I think my response to this is going to be a little predictable in one area, so I don't want to hit that just yet. Um, focusing on the performance, I think what Zellweger does here, especially coming off of um, possible Oscar happenings for Traffic two years before, she Going, I feel like going into something like Chicago, you know that this is awards, an Oscar feast. So with, especially with its history at the Tonys, and spending years trying to get made, um, so I think she chews the scenery with every ounce she gets, and she plays for the camera like any clip is going to be her Oscar role. I mean, the moment we'll talk about her momentarily, I'm sure, but um the moment, for example, when we meet uh, Mama Thornton, and she's... Uh, Hey mama, look at this. Yeah, yeah. Look at this red book. They got this, you know what I mean? Like the way she just delivers that line, for an example, like that could have been the Oscar clip. And she knows it. And instead of playing for the audience, she's really reaching for the back room. Now that's not to say I don't like it. I, you know, I started in musical theater. I love musicals, most, most musicals. I, I, I really like this performance. I do. I think it's fun, and I definitely think she is the standout of the Chicago leading ladies. Now, here it goes. She's in the wrong category. Roxy and Valma are their co leads in the story of Chicago. And, um, yeah, I'm not happy that she won in supporting.
1: So I really like Catherine Zeta Jones in Chicago. I agree that she is the more interesting character of the two women. Um, and I think she's the most vibrant. And I think that uh, that kind of makes sense in uh, how this story unfolds and the natures of these two characters, because Velma Kelly is a star. She is a born stage personality. And Roxy, not so much. Or at least in the way Renée Zellweger and Rob Marshall have chosen to depict her as this sort of um, wannabe star who's always sort of grasping at the spotlight, but can't really seem to get it and perhaps doesn't even really deserve it. And we'll get to Renee Zellweger a little later, but um, yeah, Velma Kelly is much more interesting in this. Um, I wish there was more of her in this story because I frankly just kind of want it to be about Velma at a lot of different points in this. Um, I think she kills these musical numbers. I think she has a great voice that she works really well with, uh, really making these numbers her own. I've never seen Chicago on stage, so I don't have any uh, points of comparison in terms of uh, characterization of Velma Kelly or how the story changes things, like how the film alters the um, script from the stage. Um, But I think she's fabulous. Um, I'm glad that she has a recognition for this role, and maybe this will shock some people, but I don't mind her being in supporting. Upon rewatching this, this is definitely more... Roxy's story it leans more Roxy and Velma might have some of the more well-known songs in Chicago like the opening number for example and Cell Block Tango and I can't do it on my own but this is definitely a Roxy centric film and I think uh Roxy might be in twice as much as Velma I don't know the numbers I'm not a really big screen time person but uh I think Renee Zellweger really is the The lead of this film. You could argue that Zeta Jones is co-lead. I know people do that all day every day, but maybe it's a shocker, but I really don't mind her in supporting.
0: Yeah, I think that Zeta Jones would really make a dynamite Velma on stage. I think she would really knock it out of the park. I think that in the film, Velma is just so often an afterthought. You know, it's so (laughs) Roxy-centric, and... I mean, Zeta Jones is such a breath of fresh air whenever she graces the screen. So, I mean, it's certainly not a win that I'm gonna, you know, have a hissy fit over. But I think that on stage, with more time, more numbers, I think she really could have fleshed this out even more. And I I have to say, I have seen Chicago on stage. I'm spoiled. Um, I saw B.B. Newark do it. And Mm. I mean, that was just perfection. And I think that with Zeta-Jones, I think Zeta-Jones has the potential for perfection, but under Rob Marshall's direction, not so much.
1: So I think we'll just transition into our other Chicago lady, and that's Queen Latifah. And so far, this is her first and only nomination. Um, going into this, uh, she doesn't win anything on her own, but she is part of the SAG and Critics' Choice ensemble wins. But she is recognized as a solo performer with the Golden Globes, BAFTAs, and SAG. And in Chicago, Queen Latifah plays Matron Mama Morton, the head mistress of this death row for women. So, Joey, how do you feel about Queen Latifah in Chicago? So, when I just talked about Catherine Zeta Jones, and I was like,
2: she's probably my favorite of the leading ladies of Chicago. I really love Catherine, or I'm sorry, Queen Latifah here as Mama, uh, Mama Morton. Maybe. Just because this character on stage, especially plays such a throwaway afterthought, um, which could have been, which could have happened because rumor has it that Kathy Bates was supposed to play this role or was one of Rob Marshall's first choices. And I think Queen Latifah brings such a spice to this character. There's something about the, the head bitch in charge attitude that comes along with Latifah's uh, line delivery and the way she moves in her big song I mean I was just re-watching clips of it earlier just to like really refresh the, for the Chicago ladies and like there's that point where she talks about the, the hand is clean and, and then it's clean over it's cleaning this hand too and she pops her hand through the fans and you she does it with such a finesse that it's like you everyone around her knows who's in charge it's something as simple as a hand movement. I love it. N plus two, like, I am such a smartass. I relate to that smartassery of this character. I think it's a great performance. I definitely think it's, it gets shit on a lot, mainly because of who, who won in this category, so that's unfortunate. But I would Queen Latifah is one who I'd like to see return to the Oscar race for sure. I know she doesn't do a whole lot of acting anymore. Um, I think Just Right was her last leading role, for an example, and that was almost a decade ago. But
0: yeah, I I like her in this. Well, I share Joey's delight uh, regarding Queen Matifa. I think she's just fabulous. The problem is, is that Mama Morton is basically a glorified cameo in this movie. Um, Class, which is among the deleted scenes on, you know, the DVD is cut from theatrical cut. And that's such a wonderful song for both Velma and Mama. And it's not here. So we just get the one number, which is a fabulous number, and she kills with When You're Good to Mama. She's just so sexy, and it's just such a powerful rendition, and she has such comic timing. But this is a performance about probably 10 minutes long. Uh, there's just not enough there, I don't think. Um, I think that it's a fabulous performance, and I wish it were at least twice as long. I think she really gets kind of lost in this, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I agree with both of you. Uh, Queen Latifah brings a lot of zestiness to this film uh, that I think uh, it benefits from. I think she's really funny and um, adds some real flavor to this film. And she has a good um, comedic wit about her as well. Like there's even uh, the scene about maybe halfway through the movie when Roxy has, you know, become the the newspaper darling and mama has uh, dyed her hair, this, the Roxy blonde to <laughs> Velma's disgust. And, uh, and mama just kind of plays it off like, Oh, th- this hairdo, it's nothing. Queen Latifah is great. I wish there were more scenes of her. Um, Class is a really cool song. Uh, it's on the soundtrack. I've never seen the deleted scene, but uh, listening to the song on the soundtrack is uh, wonderful. And I wish we could have seen uh, Catherine Zeta Jones and Queen Latifah do that duet. But um, Queen Latifah is great. It is a bit of a glorified cameo. She gets, you know, the one song and a couple small scenes kind of trickled throughout. But um, yeah, it's a character that I wish there was more of because she is truly a delight in the film. Agreed. I will say Not I right. think she
0: deserves um, a nomination for Set It Off in 1996. Yes. Sporting Actress. So Completely she should be a multiple agreed. nominee at this
2: point. I love Set It Off. How would you oh, feel about awesome. a Queen Latifah nomination
1: for Hairspray?
0: I'm not that fond of the Hairspray film, honestly, but I think she's quite good in it.
1: I think she sells the role. Um, I'm also not really big on Hairspray, the film, but I think she does well, and I'd have to look at the lineup and who she would bump, but um, I guess I wouldn't be mad if she had been nominated. No. So, with uh, unless there's anything else, uh, we can transition into Kathy Bates, nominated for About Schmidt, This is her third of now four nominations as of today. Going into About Schmidt, she only has a win with the National Board of Review, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, the Critics' Choice Awards, and the Los Angeles Film Critics. In About Schmidt, Kathy Bates plays Roberta, the sort of kooky and straightforward and free-spirited mother of Jack Nicholson's future son-in-law. So, Andrew, how do you feel about Kathy Bates in About Schmidt?
0: Well, I would say it's probably the weakest of her four nominated performances, including uh, today's for Richard Jewell. At the same time, I think she is devastatingly funny in this. Uh, I think that she has a wonderful rapport with Jack Nicholson. I wish they did more films together because they're so perfect here. And (laughs) some of her dialogue is just so laugh-out-loud funny. And she just kills with every delivery. Um, The hot tub scene... Still is fabulous, um, and I mean, again, I just love—I love Kathy Bates just about everything, even if it's something like the Water Boy or something even worse. And when she has a great script and some real meat to chew on, I think that she really just hits a home run. And even if this too kind of feels like a cameo, um, you know, I certainly support the nomination. And I think at the time, you know, being the the big Kathy Bates fan that I am, I was I was really rooting for her to win the Oscar. Do I feel that way now? Well, we'll see with the rankings, but it's certainly not a nomination that I'm opposed to.
2: I'm going to have to agree with Andrew here. I This is probably my least favorite of Kathy Bates' four nominations. I'm also... I'm also not that huge of a fan of Alexander Payne's films. Um, I don't think there's one... Really, maybe outside of Sideways that I I like, and even Sideways is kind of pushing it for me. I mean, we'll talk about that in two weeks, but um, yeah, I'm um, I think it's funny, like the hot tub scene. I remember, God, I was in the fifth grade when this movie came out, and even then, I remember hearing people talk about Kathy Bates being naked in the hot tub scene and how quote unquote controversial it was. You know, which even then I was like, well, like who cares but yeah i I scratch my head at this being Jack's last and most recent nomination, and honestly probably his last the way it looks i uh, i think I think she's funny where she's meant to be funny but i i I'm very negatively neutral on this performance if that makes any sense
1: yeah i um I've not seen Richard Juliet, so I can't speak to all of her nominations, but of these, the three that I have seen, I will concur. This is probably her weakest and least interesting. Um, perhaps that's because this movie doesn't give her as much to do. It is, um, I'd say it's more than a glorified cameo, but it is sort of reserved for the last chunk of the film. I think she's only in maybe the last half hour of the movie. And I think she's funny when she needs to be, and I think she does elevate some of the material by bringing her natural uh, Kathy Bates charisma to it. Um, Kathy Bates is also one of those actors who I think is um, underappreciated today. Um, thankfully, um, some recent seasons of American Horror Story have made her a little more relevant with the youth of today. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she should be out there more doing all sorts of really great things. Um, with About Schmidt, I... I think she's perfectly fine in it. Um, I also kind of vaguely remember the controversy of the hot tub scene when I was a kid. Like, I wasn't really paying attention to the Oscars or anything like that, but I do remember hearing about it for some reason, like it being talked about on the news. And my family's big Stephen King and horror fan, so I knew of Kathy Bates from Misery at the time. So, you know, I'm just thinking about Annie Wilkes in a hot tub as a kid. And uh, that's low-key terrifying. <laughs> but... Um, with Kathy, with Kathy Bates here, I think she owns that scene. I think she's wonderful in it. Um, modesty is a social construct, and she just runs with it. And I think it's great. And I, I welcome the nomination, even if it's not my favorite Kathy Bates nomination.
2: Yeah, I will say, now, now that we're talk about it a little too, There, there is another little highlight for me with this, though. And maybe it draws me a little bit more out of that negativity neutral, maybe just to neutral. But it's how she's always just bragging and telling her ex-husband to shut the fuck up. I think that's I definitely think that's a highlight to this character. Um and performance. I, I do want to say too, I think it's kind of funny. I know we got a waste to talk about June Squibb, but I remember her being on the Ellen show when she was uh campaigning for Nebraska. And Ellen it was like, You've had this huge career. What is another movie you think you deserve a nomination for? And she said about Schmidt. And I remember revisiting this movie like a couple months ago, preparing for this, and being like what the fuck was June Squibb <laughs> so that she should get a nomination for best supporting actress for this movie where she literally has probably 3 lines and then dies.
0: Well, if, if no. anybody was going to be the alternative it probably would have been Hope Davis, I would think, for the Yeah. Film. Yeah. Uh, but what's funny is that I recall Kathy Bates for maybe a few weeks being the frontrunner for best supporting actress. Now this is when she won National Board of Review And before Catherine Zeta Jones category placement was solidified. So you had kind of this very uncertain supporting actors field where you had, you know, Cameron Diaz was in there for Gangs in New York and some other folks who didn't really make it across the finish line. Um, but there was a time before the Golden Globes where Kathy Bates looked like something of a threat to win, which is pretty amazing considering, you know, how just straight up funny and kind of range free the turn is you know the performance is kind of like her primary colors performance if you took all of the dramatic stuff out of it it's just funny one-liners and that's it and she's fabulous at doing that
1: but you know she's capable of so much more uh next we have julianne moore nominated for the hours this is her third of six nominations uh Going into this, she only receives a win with the Los Angeles film critics, and they put her in the lead category, and she's recognized with BAFTA and SAG, but she does not win those, and she was in the supporting categories at both of those. In The Hours, Julianne Moore plays Laura Brown, a pregnant and massively depressed 1950s housewife trying to plan a birthday party for her husband. So, Joey, how do you feel about Julianne Moore in The Hours?
2: Okay. I am going to say right off the bat, this year of Julianne Moore fucks me up. Like, between this one and Far From Heaven, I... People talk about, like, Renee Zellweger this year for, like, a renaissance. This would have been a -a more for me. Because coming off of the first two types we've talked about are fine, boogie nights, sure. I know Andrew loves "Far From Heaven." Brandon, you and I were not fans of that performance. In fact, Andrew, she's your winner for that year, right? You mean the end of the affair, or, or yeah, the end of the affair. Sorry.
0: Correct. Yes.
2: Yeah. So coming off of those two, not a really great start to Julianne Moore's Oscar journey for me. Here is where I get everything that I wanted. So, so the I haven't seen the hours, and probably twelve years. It's been a minute. So revisiting for this, that movie took me on a whole other ride emotionally, mentally, and Julianne Moore played the biggest part in that for me. The pure depression this woman goes through, the pure mental break, the psychosis of her to com- her contemplating suicide, then you realize like I She, she literally can't do it because of her son, but then in the end, her son ends up committing suicide and it's like this weird, beautifully dark, full circle for her. So she still ends up getting, losing herself in a way. I, I was literally, these are, this is one of those performances where I were, I was literally speechless from beginning to end watching her. I felt like I was in a trance. And I think this is probably my favorite of her nominations. Um, Moore knocked it out of the park for me. What about you, Andrew?
0: Um, I honestly don't love it, but it's not Moore's fault. I'm just not fond of the film, nor most of Stephen Daldry's pictures. Um, like so many of his films, I find this... Uh, just kind of insufferably dreary, which I suppose is the point for a lot of it, but I just can't help but wonder what somebody like Todd Haynes would have done with this. Um, I do, I think Moore is in good form. I think she's in much better form in Far From Heaven, which is a far superior film. Um, I think there's moments that I think are very affecting. I think her scene with Tony Collette is just fantastic. I think they are both operating at the top of the, tops of their game there. And I think that, uh, Moore is very impressive in, um, the <coughs> scenes in the street portion of the film, not to spoil things. And I think it's honestly all the more impressive considering, uh, that she's sporting some makeup that is kind of Bette Midler and for the boys level bad, in my opinion. Wow. Um, so again, I don't love the film. I think that Moore is pretty much doing all she can. But in the end, I very much prefer her other performance this year.
1: So this is um, a character that I feel as though I really understand. Um, when I went to revisit this film, it had been many years since I had seen it. And going into it, I had similar feelings to Andrew. I, I recall not really being super fond of it and finding it overly dreary and depressing um, to the point that I wasn't interested in revisiting it. Then upon doing that, I saw a lot of myself in Laura. Um, at the point that I watched it recently, I had just um, received insurance through my work and had gone to the doctor and gone back on my antidepressant that I hadn't been on in over three years. And, um, watching Julianne Moore play out this character who is in a sense, always performing, always putting on a show so that it seems like nothing's wrong and that she's perfect for both her husband and her son really rang true for me. Um, I recently had a conversation with my boss at work about my depression, and she said something about how oh, I've never noticed anything uh, with you about that. And I told her, well, I focus all my energy into everything when I'm here. And when I go home, I just crash because I'm completely drained. And she was so confused by how someone could do that. And watching Julianne Moore in this movie, I, I recognized that. And I saw um, also in myself how difficult it can be to just do everyday tasks without feeling completely exhausted. And I think Julianne Moore really nails this performance and it rings true in a lot of ways for me. And um, it might be one of my favorite performances in her entire career. So um, I'm a pretty big fan of her in The Hours, and I like The Hours much more as a film than I did before. I found myself really, I don't know if enjoying is the right word, but really admiring this film on this most recent rewatch.
0: Do you guys think she's in the correct category here?
1: Yes. I was going to wait until we get to Nicole Kidman to discuss that, because my reasoning involves her too.
0: I honestly go back and forth. I mean, there was no way that Moore was getting pushed lead when she had Far From Heaven right there. But in another year without a leading contender, I mean, I just I feel like if you're going to push Cimman and Streep one way, you really should push Moore in that same direction, especially when you have folks like Tony Collette and Miranda Richardson, etc., giving much more brief performances. But I'm I'm. I'm very on the fence, but I wouldn't say that it's disqualifying for her, rankings-wise. But we'll see.
1: (laughs) So our final Supporting Actress nominee is Meryl Streep, nominated for Adaptation. And believe it or not, this is only her third ever Supporting Actress nomination for Character Actress Extraordinaire Meryl Streep, having not been nominated in Supporting in over 20 years So, big drought for Meryl Streep there. Uh, Going into this, she wins the Golden Globe, and she's recognized with BAFTA and Critics' Choice. In Adaptation, Meryl Streep plays Susan Orlean, a writer for The New Yorker, who's writing a book about an orchid hunter, and she begins to find her subject rather captivating. So, Joey, how do you feel about Meryl Streep in Adaptation? She plays high really, really well.
2: I I'm I'm always open to talk about my experiences with drugs and this is where I'm going to do it here. I've done every drug that I've ever wanted to or tried in my life. And I I've never wanted to try like the winner's bone hardcore shit, you know what I mean? Never touched meth or heroin or any PCP any shit like that. However, I have dabbled in things like Molly FC and cocaine. And each high represents a little bit different reactions. Well, different reactions in general. And Meryl's reaction to essentially was a mix of those three together. Well, I actually I take that back. And her reaction to this drug that she's doing is like a mix between coke, shrooms, and ecstasy, in my opinion. And it sold me in every part of her character. This character is two scoops of cuckoo and she is fucking out there. She falls in love with this, like, Hill Jack Chris Cooper and just goes off the rocker and she's involved in, like, this weird possible wannabe murder of this writer without any reasoning for, for, for punishment. Um, and I, I weirdly am attracted to this. I don't know why, but I am. It's it's a weird nomination, in my opinion, to start off Meryl in this decade, especially when you have The Hours. Um, I think her performance in The Hours is just as good, if not a little bit better, than what she's doing here in Adaptation. But w- whether it's the drugs or the weird porn site reaction that she finds about her or whatever she's doing in this, I don't know what it is, but I like it.
0: I also really, really like it. And I think what made this performance so special at the time was that she hadn't been this loose, this funny, since the days when she was doing comedies like That Becomes Her and She-Devil. Um, you know, I think that Meryl is often at her best when she's working with a rather uh, idiosyncratic director who's really challenging her, um, where... You know, there's some real vision and vitality behind the film. And it's not just, you know, you're one of the mill Oscar bait. And I think that Meryl has a field day here. I agree. Um, she is so convincing uh, when she plays high. I wish she did it more often. And I think that she's just a perfect fit for this oddball world with Nicolas Cage and Chris Cooper. And I, I think that her performance in The Hours, which is indeed just as wonderful, but kind of a 180 from this is really just a testament to her range because these are such different roles and she's really just so wonderful in both of them.
1: I agree. I think Meryl's fantastic in adaptation. I love that she took this right turn in her career and decided to go with, uh, you know, the weird up-and-coming auteur in Spike Jones and do something really interesting that I don't think she'd quite done before. Yeah, it's very similar to the comedies that she had done um, in the past. But Spike Jones has his sort of own flavor. And I think she really leans into this zaniness of the world that he's creating. And I think she really nails it here. Um, she's hilarious when she needs to be. And when this character is on her like very fast downward spiral in the last act where she decides they have to murder Nicolas Cage and there's like chasing him through the swamp. I think she's fantastic, and I wish we got more of that side of Meryl. I mean, she's great when she's doing her um trademark uh dramatic work, but I really wish we got more of comedic Meryl, because I think she is secretly a really great comedian, or not so secretly, because people who've seen her films know she can be really funny when she needs to be. But I wish she was more well-known for that, is what I mean.
0: I hope we get more adaptation slash Duffy Her, and less... Lawrence Foster, Foster Jenkins, Merrill. And for my opinion, at least.
2: I agree. <laughs> I agree too. I will also say, you know, you'll understand this when I say this. I think this is the last time we've had so much fun with Merrill Street. And, you know, yeah, sure, Julian Julia or the Devil Wears Prada or if, you know, if you consider Florence Foster Jenkins fun, whatever. But honestly, I feel like this is the last time Merrill really got to just let her hair down and say, fuck it.
0: And I, I think to... there's a little bit of that, and it's complicated. I think that that's a much a much more polished film than this is. But I would agree. I think that the the scripts that Meryl has been working with in recent years just haven't been that interesting or that challenging. And I think it's a real shame because I think that she's all the better when she's working with a rather unusual screenplay or a director who's kind of out there like Spike Jones.
1: I'd love to see her pair up with whoever the hot new director is these days. You know, someone who's fresh and has a unique take and uh, can really take Meryl out of her comfort zone and um, help her create something really unique. Like, I'd love to see Meryl take another right turn in her career and do something crazy again. Ari Aster.
0: I mean, just put her into any A24 movie. Yeah, Yeah, truly. Right, right,
2: right. (laughs) This next lineup is probably the strongest lead actress category this whole decade.
0: I don't know if I'd agree with that, but it's probably in the upper half for me at least. Ooh, interesting. Who would you? What? What year
2: do you think was the strongest out of this decade?
0: Uh I'd have to look, but honestly, I think that the two thousand one race might be stronger, in my opinion.
2: Intriguing. Well,
0: let's see how you Mm. feel about
2: this. Your lead actress nominees for two thousand two were. Selma Hype in Frida. Nicole Kidman in The Hours. Diane Lane in Unfaithful. Julianne Moore in Far From Heaven. And Renee Zellweger in Chicago. Let us get Renee Zellweger out of the way first. She is playing Roxy Hart in Chicago. And as of today, this is her second of four nominations. Going into Oscar night, she wins at SAG and the Golden Globes for a lead actress in a musical comedy and has a BAFTA nomination for lead actress. In Chicago, again, Renee plays Roxy, who is a woman charged with murder, who takes the spotlight from Val McKelly and Valma doesn't play very nice with others, so now Roxy has to defend her innocence and defend her ass in the clink. So, Andrew, what do you think of Renee Zellweger?
0: Well, kind of to echo my thoughts from Julianne Moore with The Hours, I'm not in love with it, but it's not entirely Renee's fault. I really just don't much care for the film around her, honestly. I think that she's ultimately a rather adequate Roxy I don't think she's that rolling in any of the musical numbers. And I think her acting, it's, it's okay. But I just, there's, there's something about Rob Marshall's take on Chicago that I just find very artificial. And his subsequent films really only reaffirm that for me. Because I think that his subsequent films, for the most part, whether it's Nine or Into the Woods or even something like Memoirs of a Geisha, a non-musical, just for me, are a testament to Rob Marshall's very negligible talent as a big screen director. And I'm really not that fond of his Chicago take. And I think that Renee's performance ultimately suffers as a result of it. Would she thrive on stage? Maybe. Would she thrive with another director? Possibly. But I'm honestly not in love with this. I think it's all around just very run-of-the-mill adequate, and I think that Zeta-Jones upstages her at every turn.
1: I would agree that um, Catherine Zeta-Jones upstages her at every turn. And um, to echo myself a little bit, uh, I don't know about how I feel about Rob Marshall's take, considering this is the only version of Chicago that I'm familiar with. But um, going with the idea that Roxy is this... Uh, scrappy wannabe who truly has no business being in the presence of Velma Kelly. I think it makes sense that Catherine Zeta Jones would naturally upstage her. And I, I don't know if that's um, a conscious decision on Zelliger and Marshall's part. Probably not. I'm probably just reading into that a little too much, but um, going with that idea, I think she's a perfectly adequate Roxy. Like you were saying, um, I get the um, tenacity in her and her need to be a star and I really like how that translates from being uh, like a nightclub singer to being the the best murderess the tabloids can cover and how she really uh, feeds into it and lets it feed into her and uh, her struggle to sort of be relevant and stay relevant when, say, Lucy Liu becomes the hot new murderess on Murderer's, Murderers Row. Um, so I think uh, Zell Baker's having a lot of fun with this performance, Um, I think she does okay with the musical numbers. Um, I don't really have a huge problem with it. Uh, Maybe I have never really considered it like this, but maybe like Andrew was saying, maybe any gripes that I might have with it really come from the film itself and the way that it's um, uh, portraying Roxy from the camera's perspective. But um, overall, I think Zellweger's um, perfectly fine.
2: I don't like it. I... um... I'm not a fan of this one. I think she is weirdly miscast. Not horribly miscast, but weirdly miscast. Um, I, I, I could be wrong with this, but I also remember some controversy of this casting when this happened, too. Because I guess two of the names originally... I guess Charlize Theron was originally supposed to play this role... And then that didn't happen. And then Madonna signed on to it. And I, she would have been an amazing Roxy Hart. I, I look, I, I look at musicals, which we talked about a little bit last week, Moulin Rouge. I look at musicals a little bit differently because I started on the stage in musicals. So like, it's not just the acting. It's not just the dancing. It's not just the singing. It's the full package for me. And she hits her acting fine. But it feels like she's being guided in her dance scenes. Like she's, it almost feels like there's that famous Charles Barkley-hosted episode of SNL where he's just looking at the cue cards the entire time. And rewatching Chicago, that's what it feels like with Renee. It feels like she's waiting to be told that she's doing a good job by someone off-screen, and her singing isn't super powerful for this character. I mean. You look at some of Marshall's other films, like Nine, for example, I will ride this till the day that I die, that Kate Hudson should have gotten a, a nomination for Nine for not being a singer and, an, and a dancer like Kate Hudson. You couldn't tell that she had really been doing that. Renee feels like a fish out of water. She's very awkward in this. I'm not a fan. Uh, um, this is a no, no bueno nomination for me.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there is something very mechanical about her performance and the musical numbers especially. I, I just don't think she's ever really very convincing as Roxy. I wouldn't say it's a bad performance, but um, again, I, I've seen Anne Ranking do this, and she was awesome. Um, and I hate to compare and contrast, but I'm honestly not sure if Renee would even thrive as Roxy on stage um i don't know if she really has the presence in this role but again I, like, i'm not in love with it
2: yeah and here's the thing she gets a lot of shit i get this that ashley simpson as roxy at the hollywood bowl was amazing that like ashley simpson hello no this just doesn't work for me <laughs> i'm sorry
1: yeah i i pretty much agree with you guys um i don't want to just repeat what you all said but i I'd really love to check out a stage version of this and see uh, how it how it has been translated to the screen and how it works uh, better in either medium and how a different person might portray Roxy. Because I think, um, I don't know if I would use the word miscast, but I think there definitely is something interesting going on with Renee Zellweger's um, choices in creating this character. And I'm not sure how much of that comes from Rob Marshall and how much of it is Renee. And I don't know what Renee's background in musical theater is, if any, and perhaps that's playing into it. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to be a broken record, but uh, it's okay.
2: Coming in from Mika, if the Douglases and Miramax didn't play politics with Kaplan's category, which I don't begrudge them for doing, who would have won Best Supporting Actress? Going on with precursors, I would honestly say probably Meryl Streep had the b- biggest shot to win this. I do remember Zeta-Jones kind of winning, being a weird upset in a way over only Streep. But I would honestly say, yeah, probably Meryl Streep would have won.
0: Um, I think either Streep or Moore. Uh, it's hard to t- to say because there could have been a narrative where, you know, Moore doesn't have a prayer up in lead, so let's throw her a bone down in supporting, kind of like a Jessica Lange situation. But I think the critics, you know, were certainly partial to Meryl, and Meryl hadn't won in a while. Even at that point, she hadn't won in a while.
1: So I think it probably would have been a close call between those two. That makes sense to me. I could also conceive of Kathy Bates probably winning, um, considering she had the, um, the media going for her. Like we were saying earlier, I wasn't really paying attention as much to movies at the time. But I do remember her being talked about for her role in About Schmidt. So I guess I could see how that might carry her through. And she does get some pretty decent recognition going into Oscar Night. So I could conceive of a world where Kathy Bates ends up taking it had Catherine Zeta-Jones not been there.
0: I think Kathy sure Bates that... was ultimately hurt a bit by the film only getting two nominations about Schmidt. It was snubbed in screenplay, even though it won Best Screenplay of the Golden Globes. So after the Oscar nom's morning, there was a real sense that Avow Schmidt had lost a lot of momentum, and that leads me to believe that Kathy probably would have a tough time winning, even in a Katherine-free race. This is
2: from Katherine Short at kathrice624048. Cameron Diaz was heavily pushed for a Best Supporting Actress nomination for her work in Gangs of New York. Do you think she should have been nominated? Um, I'm going to start with no, only mainly because I don't remember her performance in that. And if I can't remember you, then
1: I don't think you're worthy of a nomination. Um, Brandon, what about you? So I, I think the last time I revisited Gangs of New York was maybe two or three years ago. Uh, I think it was on Netflix or something. And I went into it with this idea that a lot of film enthusiasts do think that she was snubbed for Gangs of New York. And I remember watching it and being kind of confused by that notion because I didn't particularly see anything Oscar-worthy in the performance. Um, I guess I wouldn't have been mad had she been nominated, but I don't think I would have nominated her myself, no.
0: Uh, nor would I. Uh, I love Cameron Diaz, but not in that film. I think the film is one of Scorsese's absolute worst, and I think that she's... I don't know if she's miscast, but she's definitely not convincing in that role.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that she I know she came so close to it, it kind of boggles my mind a little bit. Just because, again, I don't remember her. But...
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a situation where it was either going to be, you know, Queen Latifah or Cameron or Michelle Pfeiffer for White Oleander um, for that fifth right, slot. right,
2: that was this year.
0: Yeah. I would
1: have much preferred Pfeiffer. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, if, if
2: I... If I have to pick between Pfeiffer or Diaz, I would say Pfeiffer as well. This is from Tyler at T-Maze21. Furthermore, could Zeta-Jones have gotten into lead, and who would have left? I guess we can answer this because we haven't really talked about anybody else, in just based off of who we think would have left this lineup had Zeta-Jones been in lead. I know this is going to sound weird, but I honestly think it would have been Salma Hayek just based on how shitty her campaign was handled and treated, even with all of her, uh, I almost said pre-maps, her precursors, um, I definitely could have seen her being left off this list for Zena Jones.
0: Um, 100% agree. Um, I think that Miramax pretty much abandoned the film at a certain point, so the campaign behind it was not very strong, and Alfred Molina was a supporting actor contender. He missed the cut, so I really don't know how strong The support really was for the film Among the Actors branch. Um, I think she probably
1: barely got in as it is. Hayek was the first person that came to mind for me as well for very similar reasons.
2: Well, moving on, speaking of Salma Hayek, we have Salma Hayek as Frida Kahlo in Frida. This is her sole nomination so far. Going into Oscar night, nominations from the Golden Globes for Drama, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and the SAG. And again, Selma plays Frida and Frida. This is the biopic of Frida Kahlo and her troublesome start, her rocky relationship, her rocky ass life, and her troubles and tribulations that eventually became the great artist that, you know, she became. So, Brandon, what start us off. Frida, what do you think?
1: So this is um, another example that we have here of an actress being hurt by the film that she's in. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but as good as Salma Hayek is on her own, just isolating her performance, I feel like she doesn't match this movie. For some reason, this movie just doesn't really work for me. I don't know if it's Julie Taymor's um, esocentric, is that the word, um, way of handling this story, where it seems like she's on so many different planets at the same time trying to make one single film and Hayek's performance feels very, um, straightforward and down to earth, like your standard biopic fare. Whereas Tamor is trying to do something more formally playful and visually interesting. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think those two executions come together for me, but Hayek on her own, you can tell there's a passion there. Um, I fully believe that she cares very deeply about uh, Frida Kahlo and um, wanting to tell her story. Um, I think that resonates. Um, But I don't think the movie is doing her very many favors as a performer. Um, Andrew, how do you feel?
0: Agreed. I think that Hayek is really giving it her all here. Um, I think she's putting every ounce of energy she has into the role. And I do think that she's pretty convincing. The problem is that she's working with a director who has a lot more feeling for the production design than she does for actors. Um, I think that Julie Taymor is a an amazing visionary, uh, especially on stage, but her film work is very spotty. And I think this film... I think that the music is beautiful. I think the art direction is gorgeous. And I think the actors in it are really struggling to... Um, to, you know, rise above it and shine just as brightly as the scenery around them. Uh, I really, I commend her for giving it her all here and I wish that she had a different director.
2: I'm kind of going to echo both of you. I, when I think Julie Tamar, I don't think of Freedom. I think of the crazy acid trip that is across the universe mm. and I'm getting a lot of the feel of Across the Universe in Frida, which is weird because it's a couple years before Frida actually happened. I you know, I do think that Hayek is giving her all. I think she's really good. I think she's really convincing. You can tell she loves this character. She wants this story to be the best it can be. But this is one of those scenarios where the film itself hurts her. And so I have to kind of like really break this performance down to and look into every nook and cranny and really see what is working in her favor and what is not and i don't mean that as like the film as a whole i mean in what she's doing and i like everything i'm seeing there's this real pain that is present in the line deliveries in 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 the feel of this character and even though this is a very depressing lineup in like the character stories of everyone here despite everything I think Hayek plays plays it the best if I can be so bold to say that she even with something like Far From Heaven which we'll get to there's something about the sadness of Frida Kahlo that comes across screen through Hayek that doesn't come across in any of, of the other nominees And I'm thinking of like directors at this time that could have really taken this material to a new level. The first person that comes to mind to me is Todd Field, director of In the Bedroom and Little Children. I think he would have done really, really solid work with this story.
0: I think that's right. I think you've just seen a director who really has a connection with her actors. And I've never felt that with Julie Taymor. I think that in in all of her pictures and in the bulk of her stage productions, too. I think that she's much more concerned with, you know, the look of it all, the scenery, production design. And I don't think she really has that same feel for her actors. So you have Salma Hayek and, and also Alpha Molina there just kind of having to do it all on their own. And they do a very commendable job. But I agree. I think that an actor's director, somebody like a Todd Field, or even the other Todd, Todd Haynes, could have done some real wonders with this, with this story.
1: I also think it would be cool to get someone like, say, Alfonso Cuarón to tell this story. Um, someone with a little, perhaps a little more cultural connection to the story, like um, Salma Hayek. Uh, Cuarón at this point had done, um, you know, It Mama Tambien and Great Expectations. So he was definitely out there. Um, I don't know how high up on people's list he was as a potential director, but I would love to have seen his version of this story. From Tyler at TMAS21. Please talk about how Frida did not receive equal campaigns.
2: I will say there is a great video by one of our favorite guests, BKR. Uh, she did a video on essentially the Weinstein machine, and it talks into great detail for a solid eight to ten minutes about how Frida Kahlo, I'm sorry, how sama Hayek was um, completely mistreated. It was complete bullshit, and I personally don't want to spend time talking about Weinstein, so if you guys want to take it away, you can.
0: I mean, the, the the whole gist of it, if I'm not mistaken, was that Weinstein wanted more nudity in the film and uh, Salma Hayek uh, was not on the same page as him. And so he pretty much dropped the film as one of his Oscar priorities, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I haven't watched um, that particular video, but that's my recollection of it all.
1: Yeah, I think there's ways in which um, upping the... The queerness or putting some emphasis on Frida Kahlo's queerness could have helped the story, but just um, just plain old nudity for the sake of nudity would not be it. So I can see why someone like Salma Hayek would um, deny or reject that notion and rightfully so. So uh, it's unfortunate for the film and for her that um, everything suffered because of it. But um, Salma Hayek and this film, I think, deserve better overall. And that's why it killed me, that question earlier, to mention that I think it would have been Hayek. Who would
2: have missed this lineup had um, Seta-Jones been put in a lead? All right, going into next, we have Diane Lane as Connie Summer in Unfaithful. This is her sole nomination as of today. Going into Oscar night, she had uh, nominations for lead, actress in drama from SAG, Critics' Choice, and The Golden Globe. However, she was kind of a critic's darling with a, a National Society of Film Critics and a New York Film Critics Circle win. In Unfaithful, again, Diane plays Connie, a housewife who, I shouldn't even say housewife, a a wife who starts a very steamy relationship, a sexual relationship with a man she meets in the streets of New York that has some real, real fatal consequences for the other man in the end. Um, Andrew, what do you think about Diane as Connie in Unfaithful? Uh,
0: I think she's amazing. Uh, I think the, the train scene still kills me. Um, I think that that's just such a fact. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an Oscar clip. I mean, that's, it's what it is. But, um, I mean, just all the emotions on her face, that roller coaster ride of emotions that she's going through on that train ride, she just so vividly conveys it. And I think this, this performance is so sexy. And I think that, you know, she just gives it her all, 100%. So it's kind of a shame that the film around her is not operating at that level at all um, This film is not a fatal attraction or a basic instinct. It's not on that level at all I think she's really the only great thing about it and unfortunately the latter half of the film is Very much dominated by Richard Gere and he is not giving one of his better performances here um, I actually quite like him in Chicago, but I think he's quite bad and unfaithful so awesome performance, atrocious film. And I guess that's kind of a theme here where I'm loving a lot of the performances and not so much all the films.
1: Yeah. I think there's some, there's something similar going on. Um, like we were just talking about Hayek and Frida and how the performance doesn't quite match the film. I think this is similar, but not quite to this, to that extreme. Um, there are times where it feels like Diane Lane is getting a spectacular performance in a different film. Um, I think she's phenomenal on her own. Um, the train scene is fantastic. Uh, this is such a, uh, nuanced and subtle subconscious performance from her. And I wish we would get more nominations from films like unfaithful movies that aren't, um, you know, shoe ins for the Oscar before they're even released. And I think she's great here. Um, I love the scenes in the second half between her and Richard Gere where one of them knows something the other doesn't and they're having almost entire conversations in subtext. I find that really fascinating. I think Diane Lane nails those scenes where she's saying one thing with her mouth and another thing with her eyes and then there's something behind her words. She's layering those conversations in a very interesting manner in a way that I think the movie doesn't always deserve, um, because I think she is, in fact, on another level, um, which is too bad, because I usually like Adrian Lyne's films, but this is uh, one where all the pieces don't quite come together for me. But uh, Diane Lane, I would say, is certainly worthy of recognition for it. I am going to agree, but also disagree with both of you here.
2: I really, really like this film. And I really, really like this performance. So that's kind of where I'm 50-50 compared to you guys. I, I can't believe this is Diane Lane's only nomination. Let me start with that. I think that's a little ridiculous. Especially when she gives such a stunning turn this year in serenity. Um, but, um, I, I love this. I, there's something about this film that gets me hot and bothered. And I've, and I've talked about it before. I don't know if it's because I'm very, publicly voyeuristic in my own sex life that like really gets me off with like watching the, the the stairway scene or if it is the complete self-hatred about what happens afterwards i mean let's be honest for a second we've all we're all adults here we, everyone has experienced this if you self-pleasure yourself to a certain video and at the end of it you're like oh my, oh my god what the hell am i doing like, why did I just watch that? Like, it's all happened to us. I, I no you can't lie about that. And I think that is very real in her performance here. There's there's such a realistic phenomenon that is happening here, watching Diane Lane unfold this character. To the point of I always forget how this movie ends. It always slips my mind that it ends in the car at the end with those two. And what i mean by the realistic phenomenon you feel her her urges her wants her needs for this man and then you feel the instant regret and then you feel the love that she has for her husband and then you feel for her realizing that he did the right thing and then what he did it's fucking beautiful i like this a lot
0: Yeah, I I wish I I liked it as much as you did, Um, because I I generally like a lot of Adrian Lyons' pictures, but um, in this case, I just I feel like it's an amazing turn surrounded by a decidedly not-so-amazing film, and I I really don't care for the ending in this. Um, I don't think the film is as stirring or as engrossing as something like I, the fatal attraction or the best of the erotic thrillers. Um, so, you know, as much as I adore Diane Lane, I just wish the film around her were a bit stronger. Well, it's funny that you brought up
2: that term erotic thriller, because we have a question that actually has to deal with that and Diane Lane. Um, this is from Catherine short. Do you think that more actresses should receive nominations for erotic thrillers like unfaithful? And if so, which performances in the genre that were overlooked in the past would you have nominated? For me, the person that comes to mind, both Gene Triplehorn and Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. Definite, definite, definite. Outside of that, I'd probably say for me, the long kiss goodnight, Gina Davis.
1: I'm going to second uh, Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. I mean, it's no secret by now how much I love Sharon Stone. So I, I definitely second that one. Um, for a, another um, one, I would say Kathleen Turner and Body Heat would be one that I'd be very okay Um, with her receiving a nomination for. So those would probably be the two that I would throw out there.
0: I agree with Kathleen. I agree with Sharon. I agree with Gina. I would add uh, Melanie Griffith in Brian De Palma's Body Double. Um, That is a sensational performance that is a complete 180 from Tess McGill. And Melanie Griffith just goes for it. She plays a uh, porn star named Holly Body. And... She got a Golden Globe nomination for it, totally deserved an Oscar and she is incredible.
2: Do you, I remember speaking of Brian De Palma, I remember hearing some people think about Angie Dickinson for Dress to Kill.
0: I don't know oh, if yeah. I agree
2: with that one. Really?
0: Oh, yeah. I think, I think she's phenomenal in that. Now, she was actually campaigned as best lead actress, which I think is a bit of a stretch, um, knowing what happens with that character. Um, But, oh, I think she's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'd be okay with her in supporting. Lead would be a little confounding to me, but I would not have minded Angie Dickinson uh, getting into a supporting lineup for that film.
2: All right, moving on. We have this year's winner, Nicole Kidman, as Virginia Woolf in The Hours. This is her second of four nominations. Going into Oscar night, she is a mixed bag. She wins the Golden Globe and BAFTA uh, uh, for lead drama actress. But she's nominated for a Critics' Choice and Sad. And in The Hours, Nicole Kidman, again, plays Virginia Woolf. Um, This is the mini biopic part of this film that is pretty much about the ups and downs and personal demons that Virginia Woolf carries throughout the film that ultimately leads, or in her life, that ultimately leads to her demise. So, Brandon, why don't you start us off with Nicole Kidman in The Hours?
1: So there seems to be a bit of a trend so far with uh, me in this decade. And that is, um, this is the performance of the year that I revisited and had a whole lot more appreciation for than I had in the past. I think Nicole Kidman is fantastic in the hours. This is such a transformative part for her. She's completely unrecognizable and she creates an entire persona with it. I don't think she's hiding behind makeup and a wig like some people mock her for I think she is crafting a character from the inside and the outside and all the way around and there's such a specificity to her movements and her looks that I really admire and um the the mental psychological gymnastics that this character goes through in her everyday life uh like when she's writing or when she thinks people are uh, conspiring against her, if that's the right word. Like the little mind games that she plays with the servants and um, her husband. Um, I find endlessly fascinating. And the train station scene um, at the very end, I think, is maybe one of the, the best scenes of Nicole Kidman's filmography. I think she's fantastic in it. So this is... Um, the 2002 performance that I've done a complete 180 on from the past. So, Andrew, how do you feel about Nicole Kidman in The Hours?
0: Yeah, I think she's in, in good form here. Again, I don't care for the film. Um, you know, I wish I felt differently because uh, I think the source material strong. I just don't really care for Daldry's uh, adaptation of it. Um, I think that it's kind of performance-like, Louise Fletcher's and Cuckoo's Nest, or Anthony Hopkins in of the Lambs, where the screen time isn't much there, but she so lingers over the film that the lead designation is ultimately just fine. Uh, I do think she is convincing as Virginia Woolf. Um, I think she has a lot of great moments, including with Miranda Richardson, who's in very good form. Um, again, I just wish that I liked the film a bit more. I think she's, this is one of her better performances, but it's in a film that I just don't care to revisit.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I, and this will be a little spoiler for you, uh, because you haven't heard last weekend, but unlike mm-hmm. last week, I don't find Kidman to be miscast in this role. I am a hundred percent for this. I love what she's doing. Um, I don't think there is a single time. I mean, I haven't watched the hours. Like I've watched something like the deer hunter, but there isn't a single time that I have watched the hours and not had a dry eye from this performance. Um, I think it's really good, um, but she's in the wrong category. She is a, everyone in the hours is supporting. It is an ensemble piece, in my opinion. There, is, She is very wrong here to have this 15 minute screen time performance in a leading role. And I mean, not her in particular, because it's, not really her fault in the long run but um that's my one complaint about it she's in the wrong category and that's unfortunate for her
0: yeah no i mean again i'm, I'm on the fence because again I, as you as you say the screen time just isn't there i think she's I, I don't think she's in it for 15 minutes but i think she's in it for just a tad over 20 and that's still not a whole lot especially compared to the rest of the nominees in this category but i do think that virginia bull and her portrayal of it is just so on the mind throughout the film that I can see the justification um, for her being in lead. But certainly screen time-wise, there isn't a lot there.
1: So I see it going both ways, Um, lead and supporting for all three of these women. Um, I'm not so fast to call it an equal ensemble across the board because I think these three characters do... um, have more meat to chew on than the rest of their cast members and in a sense they are all leading their segments of the film and give or take a handful of minutes the different portions of the film are relatively equal um Nicole Kidman's according to math is apparently you know the the smallest of the three but I don't mind that because she is sort of a character that links everything together thematically uh, she doesn't um, cross storylines like say Julianne Moore does in the hours but she does have a looming presence in it and um, I actually don't mind her in lead because I think of this film as having three leads I think Julianne Moore ought to be in lead because at the very least um, Nicole Kidman and Julianne Moore. And I know Meryl Streep's not nominated for this performance, but just throwing her in there too. I think if anything, they should all be in the same category. Um, I don't get the split. That's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. I could see the argument why they would all be supporting because no one person is truly leading the entire film. But um, on my most recent rewatch, I kind of settled on the idea that they are each leading the film Relatively equally, and so I'm okay with Nicole Kidman being in lead. It's actually Julianne Moore that I have more of a problem with being in supporting. So that's kind of where I am right now. Understood.
2: Um, this is from Luke Bell at Luke Bell Writes. How do you feel about Meryl getting a non for adaptation instead of The Hours, and which performance do you think is better? Hmm. I already mentioned I think The Hours is better, um, and I don't know if it's equal better. I don't even know, know if that makes sense. I, I, I like the hours nomination better. But if I'm going to be honest and give someone a nomination and really be behind it for the hours, it's actually going to be Ed Harris. Um, I think this is Harris's best nomination. So what about this?
0: Um, I think it's, it's a, it's a close call. Um, I think I'd be inclined to agree. I think that the hours is probably a slightly better performance, but I would nominate her for both. Uh, with the hours in lead, and then adaptation down and supporting, Um I think she's in great form in both, and again, I think that just the characters being so different is just such a testament to her range, and for me, 2002 is really kind of something of a comeback for Streep, because her efforts in the, the mid to late 90s, I would say after Bridges of Madison County, uh, I wouldn't consider that exactly a prime Streep era, so I kind of consider 2002 a bit of a comeback for her
1: yeah i I agree as much as i i love her outing in adaptation and how different it was for her and we got to see this side of meryl that we don't often get i'm a little more fond of her performance in the hours which might which might be the more standard meryl type of performance but i think she does something really interesting with it and um usually when people discuss the hours kidman and um more are the two that conversation gravitates toward and i think meryl deserves to be in the conversation as well because i think she does some really heart-wrenching work in the hours particularly with her scenes opposite ed harris so i would love to see her be a double nominee as well uh this year but um i'm cool with either nomination honestly yeah, I'm Solid. actually
0: most fond of the Streep scenes and the hours over the Kidman and Moore uh, scenes, which I know is a minority opinion.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I would agree. I was actually just going to say, I think, too, Meryl and Alice and Janney play one of the most convincing middle-aged lesbian couples I've ever seen on screen.
1: Yeah,
0: they're great.
2: They're, they play great off of each other. I'm here for it, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got another question um, from Mika. God, what a lineup. Who do you think was runner-up to Kidman, and by what kind of margin? Andrew, start us on that one.
0: Oh, I suspect it was Zellweger, you know, the SAG winner, um, and the Best Picture winner. You know, you have to keep in mind, this race when it first started, Julianne Moore was the frontrunner. You know, she cleaned up with the Critics Awards, but as the Miramax machine, you know, got more powered up, and, you know, the major precursors came about... Uh, far from heaven kind of faded a bit far from heaven was not a Miramax release and this ultimately turned into this Kidman versus Zellweger barn burner and with Kidman winning the drama globe and then Renee winning SAG it looked like basically a virtual tie heading into the big night so you'd have to think it was probably Renee runner-up and then at that point probably Julianne in third
1: yeah I'm inclined to agree um Chicago, I would say, is more of a crowd pleaser than Far From Heaven. So I would imagine the film and Zelliger had that working in its favor. And, um, you know, Chicago winning Best Picture is, you know, a sign that it was on people's minds and many people had seen it. So it makes sense to me why Zellager would conceivably be the runner-up to Kidman.
2: Yeah, I also would agree with that. As much as I want to say it was probably more, it probably wasn't. Uh, Yeah, Zellweger was probably the margin. Now, how wide of a margin I would... or Let me try this again because of English. I would say Zellweger was the runner-up by how wide of a margin, though? Probably not by much. I mean, that's... God, out of all the WikiLeaks hacks that happened to Sony in in the in early 2010s, Like, why couldn't someone break in to get the old tallies from the Oscar votes? Like, that's what I want to fucking see.
0: (laughs) I think Moore was also really hurt by the Dennis Quaid snub. I think that that was indicative of the film really running out of steam as, you know, the Christmas season came about.
2: Well, speaking of Moore and Quaid, our final nomination to get right into that one is Julianne Moore as Kathy Whitaker in Far From Heaven. This is her fourth of five nominations so far. Um, Yeah. Critics Darling, Critics' Choice win, Independent Spirit win, L.A. Film Critics, National Board Review, all wins and leads. Nominated at SAG, the National or New York Film Critics Association, and the Golden Globe for drama. Um, In Far From Heaven, Julia Morgan plays Kathy, who is a repressed 50s housewife who needs everything to be perfect. Um, Talks like an angel sleeps on her tongue and ends up finding out that her husband is on the DL hardcore. Um so Andrew, take us away.
0: I mean, absolutely incredible. Um this is my favorite film of 2002 and one of my favorite best actress nominations of all time. Uh I think that she is just sublime. I think that you know, she, I mean, Todd Haynes cares so much about the look and feel of this film. Obviously, um, Harkening back to Douglas Sirk and Jane Wyman and all that heaven allows, and all of those wonderful pictures. But he's also an actor's director, unlike somebody like Julie Taymor. And boy, he gets the very best out of Julianne Moore here, the very best out of Dennis Haysbert, out of Dennis Quaid, out of Patricia Clarkson. They all deserve nominations. And I just think her her evolution through this very difficult time is just so convincing and painful and heartbreaking. How she goes from this just perfectly pleasant housewife to a really confused, wounded woman opening her eyes to the realities of the world outside of her. And how she's, I think that her rapport with Dennis Haysbert is especially amazing in this. I think that The way she just delivers a line like, you're so beautiful to him. I think that it's just devastating. And the film's conclusion is devastating. I just think this is an actress operating at her very best with a director by far operating at his best. And the collaboration is just, it's a masterpiece. And I think it's just shameful that it didn't get more than the best actress screenplay and I think it was original score and costumes, it deserves so much more than that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Julianne Moore is just radiant and so tragic in this film. This is a type of performance that very easily could have fell flat and read as artificial. It's a very stylized performance in a way that feels completely grounded and appropriate to the setting and the vision of the director. Um, unlike some of the other nominees in this category, I feel as though Julianne Moore and her director are completely in sync with one another. Um, her take on this 1950s Turner Classic Movies Housewife completely works for what Todd Haynes is going for, for that sort of uh, Douglas Sirk um, vision and way of storytelling and yeah i think she's completely devastating like andrew was saying um it's such a deep performance um you can really see how far julianne moore is reaching within herself to create this character um that very easily could have felt like a robot in the hands of another performer. So I think this is a wonderful nomination for Julianne Moore, and it puts um, so many of her strengths on display.
2: I will be so bold to say that Far From Heaven is the most Norman Rockwell-esque film I've ever seen. Like, it feels like I'm watching a live Norman Rockwell painting. And I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I'm sticking to it. I revisited this a couple of weeks ago, and I had seen this once years ago. So, I like, I knew what happened, but I was not prepared for that rewatch because it hit me on such an emotional level. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. In every way, shape, or form. It, I also kind of, re when I rewatched this, I was like, oh, this is the hours prequel for this character because... Kathy Whitaker feels a lot like what eventually happens to the her hours character. Like it almost feels like that character after her husband leaves her, she just leaves the kids behind, starts a whole new life, and there she gets in the hours. Which will kinda of go into a question that we have here in a moment from someone. But it what Moore does here is stunning. I this was another one of those movies where as soon as I was done watching it, like I couldn't due to the performance she gives i could not move from my seat i was stuck contemplating everything i had just seen and yeah i have to agree with brandon if this had been in anyone else's hands i don't know if it would have worked as well um because maybe someone else's line delivery could have come uh, could have come off very 50s tv show housewife and this one came off just very 50s housewife i think it's it's Probably my second favorite of Moore's nominations. I think it's brilliant.
0: Have you seen the the Douglas Sirk films that this film is constantly referencing to? I have not. Uh, I think you'd love them. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I feel like you would just love the the Jane Wyman Rock Hudson dynamic, and I think you'd also love films like you know Written on the Wind and Imitation of Life, which really have the same look and feel as Far from Heaven. Um, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't say that Todd Haynes is, you know, copying these films, but it's just that amazing, sumptuous look and feel and just the, those captivating, natural, beautiful performances. Um, it's
1: one of my all-time favorites. Magnificent Obsession is another good one. I, I,
2: like, I have seen, like, older films. Um, my specialty is the 70s and up, though. Um, but, you know, I have... Watch a lot of older films too. Um, I just, for me, I'm, I'm sure we'll dive more into it if you know, we get down that lane for this, but films pass a certain year. I, 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 I that is my fault. I don't get to see them as much. But if you've got some titles, definitely send them my way. I'll, I'll check them out.
1: I guess the last thought I have regarding Julianne Moore is just how different these two characters are that we get in Far From Heaven and The Hours, considering they're both you know, quote unquote, 1950s housewives. And yet they are so polar opposite of one another, both tragic in their own right, but um, the style of them and the way the performance is executed, especially considering the way they're directed, um, just the very versatile um, performances, uh, considering how on paper they would seem very similar. It's just an observation that I had. Well, that's kind of funny because you just answered the next
2: question. This was uh, another one from Catherine Charger Catherine, 624048. Julianne Moore's two nominated performances both feature her playing repressed housewives facing great emotional stress due to the restrictions placed upon them. How do you think she makes each performance feel different, and which do you think is better? Now, obviously, the which do you think is better part you'll hear momentarily when we do the rankings. Um, Brandon, you already answered that. Do you want to add anything else to your answer then?
1: Um, I guess in the way she makes them feel different is um, her performance in Far From Heaven, um, I can't think of another word at the moment, but it's more stylized than her performance in The Hours, I would say. The Hours feels, um, I guess, a little grittier, if that's the right word, and the characters are also just so different. Uh, Laura is just much more dour, and of course that comes from her mental illness, so... Um, just mentally these two characters are on completely different wavelengths.
0: Yeah, it's Kathy. all about the the exterior of these characters, I think, and that Laura really struggles to, to hide her misery and her sadness, whereas I think that Kathy is able to convey this kind of Carol Brady persona on the outside at all times. Um, you know, I think that's... You know, you see Kathy Kathy Whitaker and it's just, you know, the quintessential 50s sitcom housewife mom, whereas Laura Brown's um, a much different creature. Um, somebody who doesn't have that same perfectly pleasant uh, happy-go-lucky kind of exterior and where her emotions are really very much on the surface even if she does try to hide them.
2: I, I did make the little quip earlier how I feel like Far From Heaven truly could be a prequel to her character, Laura, in The Hours. I I will say this, though, what makes them different. Kathy is repressive, while Laura, and I don't know if this is a word, but it's going to be, is depressive, or depressed, essentially, is what I want to say. And I think that's the biggest shift in tone from both roles. So I think that's what makes it different. We have another question. This is actually from Christoph N. at Judge Roy Snyder. The European Film Awards gave a Best Actress nomination in 2002 to the entire ensemble of eight women and eventually declared them their Best Actress winners. Is this shenanigans or an apt way to honor co-stars from the same film and possibly combat category
1: fraud? I mean, it's a concept that we've actually talked about on this show before. Like I believe mm-hmm. when we did our 1973 episode, when we talked about The Exorcist and how I think you or I had had mentioned the idea, um, which would be unprecedented for the Oscars, but if they had nominated Linda Blair and uh, Mercedes McCambridge together as a pair mm-hmm. in the same slot, how you and I would be much more on board with a win in that category, considering Linda Blair's in a way only half of that performance so that's a concept that i think we've addressed before on here so um i don't think it's far reaching um i don't know how i feel about different actors portraying different characters being put in the same slot because with the exorcist it's one character created by two people so that made more sense so um it's an interesting idea that i think is worth talking about i'm just not fully on board with it at the moment shall we get to the fun parts? So before we get to our rankings, as a reminder, your supporting actresses were Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago, Kathy Bates and or Kathy Bateson about Schmidt, Julianne Moore in The Hours, Queen Latifah in Chicago, and Meryl Streep in Adaptation. And I, as much as it pains me, I'm gonna put Julianne Moore at my number five spot Whoa. because right now I feel as though there are three leads of The Hours. And so Julianne Moore ought to be in the other category, although I know she couldn't do that this year due to the double nomination thing. But um, she gives a beautiful performance in The Hours. It's one of my favorites. She might even have been my lead actress winner had she been in the lineup, I'm not sure. It depends who she was bumping out. Um, but right now, Julianne Moore gets my last place spot due to category placement.
0: I also have Julianne Moore at number five. Um, it's not entirely due to category placements, although I am on the fence about it. Uh, for me, I think she's doing good work, but I don't think she's really able to elevate the film around her very much. And I think it just pales so much in comparison to her other turn this year. I just I can't help but put her in fifth place, Especially with this competition, perhaps if the competition were a bit more lackluster, she could be a couple spots higher, but with this particular lineup, I have to put her in last.
2: If there were cameras to catch my facial expressions to both of you announcing five right now, it would probably be <laughs> Sally Kirkland's reaction at from losing for Anna. Like, I was literally shut from both of you. <laughs> okay. Catherine Zeta-Jones, number five, brilliant, brilliant performance. I love her in this, but honey, that is a lead character. Holy shit.
1: My number four goes to Queen Latifah for Chicago. I think she's delightful in Chicago, but um, I ultimately just need a little bit more um, from her, and um, perhaps that's Rob Marshall's fault. But I'm just not getting quite enough from her to bump her any higher. So Queen Latifah is my number four.
0: Same. Um, I have Queen Latifah at number four. I think it is a absolutely wonderful cameo. I think that had Class been in here, I think had she had the screen time, or rather the stage time, that uh, Mama does in the stage production, that perhaps it'd be a different situation. But ultimately, um, Mama kind of fades into the background and is ultimately mostly an afterthought. So despite her best efforts, I do have to put Queen Latifah at number four.
2: Kathy Bates, number four. Probably her worst nomination. Um, nice few quips she's got against her husband, but there's nothing here that is that screams, give me an award. So I'm putting Kathy Bates at four.
1: Uh, Kathy Bates is my number three. Um, of the three nominations that I've seen so far, it is my least favorite. And I think she does have some fun with the performance. And I think she and Jack Nicholson have wonderful chemistry in it. But um, ultimately, it's not giving me enough of what I need. Um, and it's not displaying all of what I know Kathy Bates can do. So Kathy Bates is my number three for About Schmidt.
0: I have this year's winner, Catherine Zeta-Jones, at number three. I think that she's very good. I think that she really knocks a couple of the musical numbers out of the park. And I think she's uh, just very solid Velma. The problem is, is that the film isn't all that interested in Velma, I don't think. And because of the scaled down nature of the role and the spotlight really being shown on Roxy, I think it ultimately undercuts the performance. And for me, I just can't get as excited about it as I did, say, B.B. Neuwirth in the Sage production. So she's my number three.
2: As much fun as she is, uh, I gotta give Meryl Streep number three. Um, I mean, I'll just be honest. She should be here for the hours over the, over adaptation. Um, as much as I like seeing Meryl outside of her comfort zone, um, she's much better in the hours. But yeah, number three is Meryl Streep for me.
1: So I'm gonna give Meryl Streep my runner-up spot and I'm rewarding Catherine Zeta Jones for Chicago. I love that Meryl uh, took this turn in her career and decided to work with Spike Jones and do something very unusual that we hadn't seen from her um, in quite a while. And I think she's fantastic and thrilling and funny in adaptation. But Catherine Zeta-Jones steals Chicago for me. I feel what Andrew's saying, where um, sometimes it doesn't quite feel like the movie is fully invested in Velma, but maybe it's just my weird reading of it that that's a natural thing for this story because Velma has the rug pulled out from under her. And a lot of her struggle is her struggle to regain the spotlight and stay relevant and swipe it back from Roxy. So that kind of works for me in a weird way. And that just might be me overthinking things and being too cerebral like usual, but it really works for me. And Catherine Zeta Jones is just straight fire in Chicago and, I think it's a fantastic performance. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, give it to Catherine Zeta Jones.
0: So for me, uh, I'm going to put Kathy Bates as my runner up, which means that Meryl Streep is my winner uh, for the second time on this podcast. Uh, this is actually, oh, that's right. yeah. So honestly, looking back at Meryl's nominations, this is, these are actually the only two times that I do give her the win. So it's not like I'm like the number one Meryl super fan or anything. It's just a pure coincidence. Um, Kathy Bates, hilarious not a stretch at all though and she's really not in it that much I adore her and I love the nomination but I can't quite give her the win Meryl, um, hilarious as Joey said so convincing when she plays it high um, I love the film that she's in I love her in it I think that she is rarely this loose, this funny, this laid back I think that she just devours a screenplay, and for me, she is the winner.
2: All right. Well, I'm clearly going to be very different from both of you because we all had a, kind of a different top two in a way. I am actually giving the run-up to Julian Moore that year, and I'm giving Queen Latifah the win. Moore. Beautiful. It fucking wrecks me every time. Again, don't watch it like the Deer Hunter, but every time that I've seen the hours, wrecks me. Uh, I think this is my favorite nomination of hers. However Latifa is selling it and this is this is kind of like a testament to really good acting in my opinion. yeah Andrew you're right cameo pretty much let's boil this down to what it is but she sells every second she is on scene. there is not a single moment when when mama's not on scene that you are not engaged with that character and that alone is the testament to really really good acting I think and here it is'. We're bringing it up it's the Penelope Milford effect she does what she does she moves along her part of the story and then that's it therefore I gotta give it to her Queen Latifa is my winner moving on to Leeds as a recap Diane Lane in Unfaithful Julianne Moore in Far From Heaven Renee Zellweger in Chicago Nicole Kidman in The Hours and Salma Hayek in Frida um my number five is Nicole, Kid- Nicole Kidman she's great but um she is a lead or she's a supporting role in a lead category. So, Andrew?
0: Uh, for me, it's got to be Renee Zellweger. Um, I wouldn't say that she's outright bad, but I think it's a pretty pedestrian performance. I think that her musical numbers are pretty bleh. I think her acting is eh, and it's just not a performance that I can get terribly excited about.
1: My number five is Salma Hayek for Frida, which makes me kind of sad because I, you can tell how much she cares and how much she wants this to be a success, but I really just wish she had a different director who could really elevate her. Um, she's doing everything she can in this film, but ultimately the movie's not doing her any favors. So unfortunately, um, in this world, she has to be my number five.
2: My number four, is Renee Zellweger, and Andrew's right. Meh.
0: Uh, number four for me is the winner, Nicole Kidman. I think she definitely leaves an impression, but not nearly as much of an impression as the remaining three for me.
1: My number four goes to Renee Zellweger for Chicago. Um, my The way Catherine Zeta-Jones works for me in Chicago kind of works in a similar way to Renee Zellweger. I don't think she's horrible, but I think given this notion that Roxy's not perhaps is perhaps not destined for stardom, it kind of works for me that she's a little bit lackluster in the role. But ultimately, I'm not super thrilled with it overall. So Renee Zellweger is only going to be my number four. So number three pains me to say this, but I'm giving
2: it to Julianne Moore. Um, I think Far From Heaven is beautiful that i cannot use any more positive um words for this movie and this performance um but like i did mention i think it's her second best nomination um and yeah there's i guess it just falls in that trope of the final two do a little bit more for me and therefore i got to give more number three
0: so, my number three is Salma Hayek for Frida. I think she's, again, giving it her all here, and I really do commend her. I think she's so convincing as, as Frida Kahlo. But the film around her just isn't at the same level, and again, you're, you have a director here who just doesn't have that same feeling for actors as she does for the sheer look of the film, for the scenery around the actor. Had he had a different director here, perhaps would have been a much different situation. As it is, it's a fabulous leading turn that really could have used a better picture around her. So she's ultimately my number three.
1: Um, This top three for me is really challenging, and I can honestly see any one of them being my winner on any given day. This is one of those lineups where a week from now my opinion might be different. But right now, um, I'm putting Diane Lane at number three for Unfaithful. Um, I really like this naturalistic, grounded performance that we get from her. Um, But there's just something about the other two that are just working a little bit more for me today.
2: So my runner-up this year is actually going to be Selma Hayek, which means I'm giving Diane Lane the Oscar, starting with Hayek. Yes, she definitely falters from a not-so-great movie. But looking past that, there is I, I fully stand by that there's some there's some type of pain that comes off from this from this role and this acting uh choice that she made for this. And it's it I can't ignore that. That's that's why I put her ahead of Moore, even if Moore's had a weirdly profound effect on me a little bit more. Um Lane though, holy shit. Give this woman her Oscar, please, Nicole Kidman, because there is everything Everything she does here is right. It's on the nose, it's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's poignant, it's erotic, and I want more. I, I, this sounds weird, but I want a sequel to this movie just so I could have more of this character. Um, yeah, Diane Lane, my winner.
0: So my, my runner-up is Diane Lane which, no surprise, means my winner is Julianne Moore. Um, Joey, I completely echo your thoughts on Diane Lane. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. Um, again, just thinking about the train sequence, and there's other fabulous scenes in it, too. Um, she's just in magnificent form. She really is. I just don't really care for the film around her. Um, as for Julianne Moore in Far From Heaven, you're talking about an actress who I adore at the very top of her game in a film that is one of my very, very favorites in recent years. Um, I think that the look and feel of Far From Heaven is so sublime and serves to complement Moore's performance, whereas in Frida the look and feel of the film is almost there to overwhelm the performance. Here it's just pitch perfect all around, and I think that Moore just Nails this character's transformation. So many heartbreaking line deliveries, such a lived in and convincing performance. And I wish the film received so many more nominations. For me, this is much as I love Diane Lane and really like Salma Hayek too, ultimately, really a slam dunk.
1: So. Um, I'm putting Julianne Moore in my runner-up spot, and I'm actually giving Nicole Kidman the win. Um, this is something I probably wouldn't have done prior to my most recent rewatch of this movie, but something about Nicole Kidman's Virginia Woolf just did something unreal to me. And this movie really works for me um, on a very personal level, and this movie wouldn't work if the... Virginia Woolf performance didn't work. It's really the the character who kind of brings it all together. And um, I understand in my own way what mental state this character might be in. Um, not saying that I'm the exact same person, of course, and she had her own struggles, but I've dealt with depression and uh, suicide ideation. And um, I'm also like a recently transplanted writer who's been taken from a city and put in a different place. So that really uh, clicked with me. So right now, Nicole Kidman is getting my win for the year. But um, like I said earlier, um, any one of my top three um, could very easily take it on a different day. So um, I'm going with Nicole Kidman in the hours for what I understand is very personal reasons.
2: I love that all three of us have such different winners, like, not yeah. one of us agreed. I and love it's it. Funny too. Yeah, it's funny, too, because, like, I'm looking at my lineup, and obviously write these down. Brandon, your two winners were my five spot, and Andrew, your two winners were my three spot.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: for
1: both of them. So I think and that's my, pretty ironic. And my two winners were the real-life winners, which I don't think has ever happened before. I've given it to the actual winners before, but I don't think I've ever given it to both. Have I? I don't think so. I oh, don't know. i thought I'm sure there's some listener who who knows right away, much better than we do. But Nicole <laughs> um yeah, Nicole would know. We should ask her. Um Yeah, I don't think I've ever given it to both winners, but um yeah, that's pretty unusual for me.
2: Well, per usual to end this. Um Brandon, did any of my winners shock you?
1: No, I'm pretty sure I think this is a year that we had discussed a long time ago before we even did this. And I, I, Going into this, I had Diane, Lane, and Queen Latifah in my head as your winners, I'm pretty sure we've discussed it, so um, it didn't surprise me, because those were the people I had in my head, for some reason. How about yeah, you, so I, Any shockers?
0: Well, I figured you would go with Queen Latifah when we first started, but the way you were praising Julianne more in the hours, I thought you might actually lean in that direction instead. Uh, but, no, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: will say for Brandon, I definitely thought he was going to go more and more. So that definitely shocked me. And for Andrew, I remember you saying that you only rewarded Street for two of them a long time ago. And one of them was for adaptation. But it wasn't until we started talking about more and far from Ever, and I'm like, there it is.
0: I know. I know. The funny thing is, again, at the time, I was rooting for Kathy Bates just because I love Kathy Bates. And she's still my number two. But I just, I can't go that far at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brandon, Richard Jewell, terrible movie, but Bates is definitely the only saving grace of that. That's what I hear.
0: Yeah, she's really yeah. good. Okay. And much better than Laura Dern, in my opinion.
2: This Oscar season I'm so bored with. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming back.
0: Ah, uh, Always a pleasure.
2: Do you want to plug what you're doing? And, um, and Okay, this should probably be coming around around
0: mid-March. So anything you're doing around then? Well, I'm always blogging um, at my uh, blog, <laughs> theawardsconnection.com. <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter all the time, uh, at Awards Connect. Uh, I'm also a contributing writer these days over at Awards Watch with the great Eric Anderson. And you can also find me on occasion over at Derby.
1: Thanks for coming back, Andrew. Uh, you're one of our most popular guests, so uh, hopefully that trend continues because you deserve it. Uh, thank you.
0: And again, yes. as I said in the last podcast, you guys are one of my favorites. You and uh, and the runner-up is. The best of the best.
2: Yeah, you just gave us that shout-out the other day. That was so nice of you. Definitely appreciate that. What did you say, the Anytime. cream of the crop or the creme de la creme or something like that? Creme
0: de la creme. Chef's kiss. I'm glad you
2: put up with our bullshit. <laughs> I'm glad you put up it. with my bullshit, especially because I mostly do the Twitter stuff. So, thank you for putting up with my bullshit. That's really nice <laughs> I love <laughs> your tweets. So, really quick, our Patreon will be out by the time this comes out. But, um, I'm going to say you have a definitely open invitation to come on. And the Patreon, we do it, we're doing a little different. So, you'll have to wait until we hear it. And if you like it, come do it.
0: Awesome. Sounds good.
2: Perfect. All right, guys. Well, on the count of three, we're gonna give one big Academy Queens farewell. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye. Bye
0: bye.